is everybody and welcome to a special edition of the Denver Sports Podcast. I am your host Adam Mades covering the Nuggets. Seated to my right, Nathan Rudolph. You know him as Rudo covering the Avs. Yeah, I love how you say your last name, by the way. Do you? I, mean, yeah. I wish I could like roll the R a little <laughs> bit like that. I can't do it. Yeah, I don't know if I can do it either, to be honest with you. I just make it a D. I um, would roll it far too much. And then it's you, like, now you're trying too hard. Yeah. So Marquez. Right. <laughs> seated to my far right is the Drew Kreisman. <laughs> Happy to be here. <laughs> and representing the Rockies. And actually what we're representing, the three kings of the Denver sports scene right now. You got Nolan Arenado, you got Nathan McKinnon, you got Nikola Jokic. And what I like about all three of these guys is the back half of the decade, the 2010s, those guys emerged and sort of shined both and also sort of bridged the gap between the 2010s and the 2020s, or at least are set to. And I think it's going to be an interesting conversation to kind of learn about all three guys, how they got here, where they're headed, and and quite frankly – can they bring championships to organizations that are maybe still waiting or, in the Avs case, have had that tradition but maybe not recently? So um, I'm going to start with Nolan Arenado, though, and we're going to start with a little bit of backstory. When did you first hear the name, Drew, Nolan Arenado? Yeah, you know, so this was before I was really following the draft carefully, so I wasn't around for seeing him get picked all the way back, actually 59th overall in the 2009 mm-hmm. Uh, first-year player draft. So, you know, he was overlooked by a lot of people. I do remember hearing about him as a prospect, and it was kind of a mixed bag, actually. He had been this overweight catcher in high school who just mashed. Uh, and really, all that we knew for sure was going to translate was this contact tool. He almost never struck out. So I remember hearing about this kind of heftier minor leaguer who never struck out, great batting average, We'll see if anything ever works out defensively for this guy. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. That's and, hilarious. And uh, <laughs> even in, up through like double A, that really? was kind of the, the report on him. What? And, uh, to, to jump forward a little bit, when I had Nolan on our podcast, I uh, talked to him about this, and he gives a lot of credit to a minor league coach named Jerry Weinstein, who really kind of whipped him into shape and said, you've got to take care of your body and to be able to reach your full potential. And that happened uh but but yeah so those were my earliest memories by the time he had gotten to the point where he was going to debut with the Rockies he had built up enough hype that people knew who he was it was definitely we were all anticipating this moment in fact it was he was one of those guys that was purposefully delayed for a month because baseball has really stupid rules about contracts and in order to maintain control over him for an extra year which in hindsight looks fantastic uh they didn't play him for that first month in 2013 so it was one of those things where because the team was struggling everyone's going when are they going to call up nolan arenado that was the whole story for a month and and we were looking forward to it why was there hype around him because of his draft position or what he was doing in the minors It, it was really what he had started to do in the minors the batting averages were getting ridiculous he had added power to the profile which all of a sudden you're going oh hey now you're a dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When you start hitting bombs like that. Do you remember your first time, like the first game? Do you remember that first one as a Rocky? I I think so. I want to say it was against the Padres. I know it was in California because he played it in front of family. Ah, and okay. There was a whole home thing there. And I know he hit a home run to right center field, which is hilarious in hindsight because he pulls 90% of his home runs. Mm. Uh, but... Yeah, and he just was this 
pimple-faced kid. Yeah. Nolan Arenado, the contact hitter with no defense. <laughs> right. I know. Right. It's incredible. <laughs> that, and, you know, we really didn't know what to expect defensively from him. Uh, you know, but we were looking at this big-bodied kid uh, with, with some power going to all fields. I think it became clear to me by the end of that rookie campaign that he was going to be something special. Let's put a pin in that. Let's go to Nathan McKinnon. First time hearing the name Nathan McKinnon. Uh, it was in his draft year. He comes from Cole Harbor, which is the same town that Sidney Crosby comes from, who when it was yeah. McKinnon's draft year, Crosby was the best player in the NHL. And McKinnon coming out of the same place, playing in the same leagues, playing the same position. There was a lot of hype around him. So knew a little bit about him coming into his draft year. The Avs that year, actually, a lot of people wanted them to draft a defenseman. They actually were the second worst team in the league. They weren't even mm. going to draft first overall, but they won the lottery over the Florida Panthers to get that pick. And from the beginning, Joe Sackick said, we're taking a forward with this pick. And so there was Nathan McKinnon. That's how he came to join the Avs from his junior career. It's not like baseball. He didn't have to work it through single A, double A, triple A to get up there. He just jumped right in on the team and was an immediate impact player. As Let's go to the draft, though. How how hyped was he? Was he like a can't-miss prospect, or was he just – because some years you're the top guy, but it's like, I don't, you know, who knows what he'll be. Was he a can't-miss prospect? Yes. He was going to be in the NHL immediately. Was he a guaranteed first overall pick? No. There was the talk about Seth Jones, the defenseman that I was talking about. Could have well gone first overall. The second overall pick, Sasha Barkov, another center, this one out of Europe. Mm. There was an argument for him to go first overall as well, but probably for the forwards, McKinnon was leading the pack, but not this definitive margin that... Today, you would say, oh, yeah, right, McKinnon, of course he went first overall. What about the diehards? Was there some hype in the fan base when he was drafted of like, okay, this is our, this is the prince that was promised? Um, yes and no. Good reference. <laughs> uh, there was definitely a belief that he was going to be the best player on the team in the future, but there was still a lot of faith in the Avs fan base and Matt Duchesne at that oh, time right. as the, the one center in the on the team and we were and all that so young through. and naive then yeah it was different times <laughs> definitely for for the Avs fan base and he came into the team in 13 14 the year the Avs had that kind of cinderella story where just yeah. everything went right for them and it was like wow this team has matt duchene and nathan mckinnon down the middle they're going to be a force and really there was a great first year for McKinnon, but it took a couple more years for him to truly become the man on the Avalanche. Nikola Jokic is, I think, different than both of them. I think all three of them had kind of have a different backstory. Jokic was discovered from obscurity off of a really random story. His his manager, Misko Raznatovic, which is like the Don King of European hoops. I mean, he's like has his fingers in every every aspect of basketball in Europe. He saw the box scores of some guy in some C-minus league and said, is this guy winning off of athleticism? He sent a scout down and told me, like, if he's just taller and bigger than everyone, and the scout came back and said he's the worst athlete I've ever seen in my <laughs> life, but he's putting up those numbers. So his rise was meteoric. He went from that to the, you know, started playing in some of the professional leagues. The Nuggets actually drafted him 
as a stash player, like, okay, one in a million, we'll see what happens. And the year that he was stashed, he actually won the MVP of the Adriatic League. Had he waited a year to enter the draft, he would have been a lottery pick. But the year he really grew was the year after Denver had kind of sort of stolen him. Here in Denver, the interesting story about Jokic is with, on draft night, um, Gary Harris was taken, Yusef Nurkic was taken, and Nikola Jokic was taken. It was three-player draft for the Nuggets. At the draft, Tim Tim Conley fielded questions, and when he was all done, he said, no questions about Jokic, because every question was about the first-round <laughs> sure. draft picks, not the second round. He said, no questions? Okay. And so that to show you of how little hype there was around Nikola Jokic, nobody asked a single question about him the night he was drafted. Was Did Jokic come to the draft or anything no. like that? Okay, because that's a big thing in hockey where a lot of players go to the draft and Sometimes yeah. some players that don't get drafted go, and, right, and it's yeah. a very iffy situation. But yeah, I mean. that wasn't the case. Now, with when we talk about debuts, um, Jokic's debut was Emmanuel Mudiay's debut. The the same, they were the same game, and there was so much hype. I still remember the moment around everything that Emmanuel Mudiay was doing leading into camp and this or that, and the whole conversation was around it. And it's funny to go back if you even read the gamers from no matter what outlet, the gamers from that first game. Not even a mention of Jokic, who had a pretty <laughs> fine game, actually. Um, but that's how off the radar he was. Now, wasn't he drafted during a Taco Bell commercial? <laughs> that's that's the famous. Fa- thing. Famously, like, yeah. the quesarito was on the uh, the chewy, cheesy quesarito was on the screen as they announced the Nikola Jokic pick, which is pretty on brand, I would say. Um, when did <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about Arenado's early part? When when did you th- first think? This isn't just a good prospect. This is actually the the, the guy. He's the guy that's going to be the face of the team. So that took a little while, but there was this immediate recognition of how good his defense was. Whatever the issues were in the minors <laughs> had been more than solved by the time he got there. And I have a real, uh, I, I don't want to say this about myself, but whatever, I'll power through it. I have a real eye for defensive play. Sure. And it's one of the things I pay very close attention to. And I saw this guy who had a preternatural ability to predict the game make plays that no one else would even think about and that was there immediately and that took care of like a huge part of the equation right you go oh man this guy is going to be super reliable at third base I didn't know he was going to be the best ever but I knew pretty much right away like yeah this guy is going to be a plus on defense a thing I didn't know he had and so as that year went on and the contact was playing a little bit starts to hit for some pop you know, at the time, the stars of the team were very clearly Troy Tulowitzki and Carlos Gonzalez, and right. there was no questioning that. The really weird thing that happened, one of the big what-ifs in, in Denver sports history, I think, that doesn't get talked about enough, is 2014, the, the pitching was terrible, but they were hanging around and above 500 for most of the year because they had Cargo Tulo and now Arenado in his second year finding his bat, and Nolan... I can't remember if he was trying to steal a base or stretch a single to a double, but he slid head first into second, broke his hand, and ended up missing Mm. like 68 games, I think. The most uh, time he's missed for an injury in his career still to this day. And I always felt like that totally derailed what could have been a very good team built around those guys. And we still didn't quite know yet how good Nolan Arenado was. The next season, when... You know, Troy Tulowitzki was traded. There were all of these changes. Jeff Breidich took over as GM. I, I think that's when it really started to become clear that Nolan Arenado was one of the best all-around players in baseball, that he was going to be the guy that you're going to have to build around uh, because he was just 
he, he was doing it so consistently. It does take a little bit longer in baseball, right? You never trust even one whole really great season. Oh, for yeah. sure. Out of the guy. Yeah. And so 2014, you know, after 2014, he'd won two gold gloves. Um, you know, it yeah. looked like a pretty solid player, but still the average was sitting around, I don't know, probably 270, 280. You know, wasn't doing the thing yet. Yeah. But since then, he's Wh- he's been one of the best. When players. was the thing? Because, I mean, when I think of Arenado, one, number one, I think about clutch. Yeah. I think about inc- just, like, awesome. That's cool. But I also yeah. just feel like if you're in it, it, when he comes up to bat in the ninth inning, and the game's on the line. I'm just like, I, I think I'm more confident than any other athlete in Denver sports. When, yeah. when did this begin? That's always been there. And that's one of the things that I think is funny. And it's something that a lot of modern stat people hate talking about. They don't believe clutch exists. This, I know this exists right, in the yeah, NBA a little bit, sure. too. It's big in baseball. Something I fight with A.J. Hayfley about a little bit. <laughs> but when I talked to Jeff Breidich uh, on the podcast last year, I said, what was the first thing you noticed about Nolan Arenado? His ability to get a big hit in a big moment. I talked to the scout that found Nolan Arenado in California. He said his ability to rise to the moment. And some people place no stock in that, but the statistics show that he is extraordinary with the game on the line. Always has been going back to his rookie season. He's only gotten better and better at that throughout his career. And that was an early separator for me. That was when I knew. And really – it was sometime in 2014 because as much as Troy Tulowitzki was one of the best players in baseball when he was on the field at that time, no argument against that. He was never good in the clutch, mm. never good in the clutch and had a hard time staying on the baseball field. And so I think the next year as he was traded, that all just became so much more natural. Here's a guy who always comes to like you said, you want him at the plate where the last superstar didn't. So it was such a natural transition for fans to just say, we're sick of the guy who was great whenever he could be on the field, but he was never there at the most important times and he couldn't get the hit at the most important times where Nolan has literally like a 400 career batting average with the game on the oh, line. Man. Oh, wow. Like, <laughs> Ruto, what about McKinnon? Um, when did he go from like a good prospect to like, okay, this is the cornerstone? There were multiple moments. In the first year, in the first five games, I, I forget which team it was against, but he got the puck in the neutral zone and – just got up to full speed, and it was very apparent that just the raw, unadulterated physical ability of him skating the puck was, as an 18-year-old, simply better than the NHL could handle. And you knew the talent was there. You knew that ability Mm -hmm. was going to come with consistency. And then you got to the playoffs at the end of that year, and a little bit of the same thing as Arenado with the, the clutch gene or whatever you want to call it, where he would come up with a big moment for the Avs, whether it be in overtime in the playoffs, getting a game-winning goal, or setting up a play for someone else. All of that showed in flashes through that first year where you could see all of the skill, all of the ability, all of the talent that you knew he was going to be a special player in the league. It was just a matter of when. And then he had a couple of down years. Oh, wow. So there's a big regression, sort of, or, or growing pains, we should call him. I would say growing pains. He, in his sophomore year in the league, he really felt like he needed to bulk up. He got up to mm. around 215, 220. 
and it took away some of that speed. He wasn't quite as mobile as he was in that first year, and it was something he kind of had to work through. He dealt with some injuries and stuff. With well, as I well. also know from our conversations, he's bulking up to fit a traditional model of hockey, right, right as hockey was becoming yeah. less bulky. The exact opposite yeah. of that. And so after about a year of that, you know, the next year he went back down to his his regular weight and f- said he was a lot more comfortable dealing with that. Dealt with some more injuries. The Avs, unfortunately, were trending the wrong way. They were not building well around him, and they were still dealing with Matt Duchesne as the top center on the team. And then they had the worst year ever, so kind of just totally write that off. McKinnon led the team in points and did what he could, but that team was just terrible. And then the breakout game. They got rid of Matt Duchesne around the same time as McKinnon was starting to find his game. He became the man on the Avs, and he just took off and has not looked back. Well, you said breakout game. Was there a game? There was not a game, but there was a stretch. He w- okay. scored five points in his first ten games of the 17-18 season, and then the flip just switched. And he mm-hmm. rattled off, I think it was a 13-game point streak where he scored like eight goals and had seven assists. And every single moment was the flash there was it was no longer a flash it was mckinnon has the puck something special is coming (laughs) oh yeah that feeling so Jokic had the same thing where his rookie season he started to to get more and more shine the all catch-all metrics in all sports i think are not are are all flawed yeah but the ones in the nba had him as like a top 10 player but he was only playing 20 minutes you know as a reserve and it was like okay well once he plays real minutes we'll see what happens the following year his sophomore year he they move him from center to power forward and then eventually they bench him to make room for a very disgruntled Yusef Nurkic and the team struggled so there is an actual date for Denver fans and for Jokic and it's December 15th which it's kind of funny it's become a sort of uh, holiday for diehard Denver Nuggets fans go, because it's That's like the awesome. birth of this era on December 15th uh, his sophomore season Malone said, what am I doing? At this press conference, he said, what am I doing? Jokic had a fantastic year at center. I've put him on the bench. I've done all these things. Like, we're going to go with him. He's our guy. And the Nuggets immediately <laughs> became a different team. It was. It's one of the rare instances of having, like, December 14th, you suck. December 15th, you're awesome. <laughs> and you're a whole new, different type of team. And um, they had... I still think that sophomore season was my favorite season in large part because they were catching people off guard and his style of play was just so unique and so different that like you're talking about with McKinnon, it became appointment television because when he had the ball in your hands, you were just, I remember Chris Marlowe saying like, okay, Jokic on the break, here we go. And it was sort of like settle in. We don't know what's about to happen. Something's coming. Something weird's (laughs) about to happen. And, and sure enough, it it lasted for for the next several years. Um, Let's talk about maybe a seminal moment. From Nolan Arenado, is there a single moment that's like the pinnacle of his career to date? The one that definitely sticks out is the home run walk off to have the cycle on Father's Day uh, because it kind of fit the whole clutch moniker, yeah. right? Big clutch moment. He takes a, a lot, a game that's in the loss column, puts it in the win column. And not just clutch, but it seems like great players sometimes have iconic moments. Like, Oh, it, of course it happened on this big day, this specific right. moment. Right. The the big day, the specialty uniforms. Every, baseball <laughs> in particular is a very father and son game. And I don't oh, need yeah. to, I, sure. I think my audience is like 50% women, so I don't ever want to leave anybody out when I say that. But there's a there's it's at generational, least a unique though. Tr- yeah. Exactly. And, and so for to you know to be there on Father's Day, there's also the building of it. Just like when he hit a triple in the first inning, 
I look to, I think I was sitting next to Manny Rondo. The first thing you think, well, he could hit a cycle today because Nolan almost never hits triples. But what he oh. does, he hits a lot of doubles and home runs. So we knew it was like on the table the second that triple arrived in the first inning. And we're building to it and building to it. Awesome. And then it's even one of those things where you're counting down the batters the inning before. Because <laughs> we all know Nolan's a home run shy. But the Rockies were up. So there was a chance he wasn't even going to come to bat if whoever's closing, I can't remember, closes out that game. Nolan never gets the at-bat. But I believe it was Hunter Pence hit a two-run home run for the Giants to put them ahead. Ah, perfect. To put the Rockies down by one going into that. Uh, and I can't remember who got on base ahead of Nolan. But I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so now he won't just hit. If he hits a home run, it won't just tie the game and complete the cycle. Now if he hits a home run... They win the game. And I believe that was also the end of a stretch that put them at 20 games above 500, which they've not been since for sure. And and they probably hadn't been for 10, 15 years before that at 20 games above 500. It was this just singular moment. And you you almost thought there's no way this happens, but also this is going to (laughs) happen. How does it, how does it feel when it does happen? When the ball leaves his bat, like just what's, is your hair standing up? Oh yeah. I did a full circle in the press box. I was standing up, and I just turned around um, during the flight of the ball because I could see it like a golf shot. I knew it yeah. was gone off his bat, even though it only got into the first or second row. I went, no effing way. No way. But 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 I also thought, of course, I'd written like four articles that season about how clutch Nolan yeah. is and running yeah. through all the stats. So I was like, I told you. There's a lot of that. But it was just, are you kidding me? But 1% of major league plate appearances end in a home run. Right. To get it on command in that moment with those stakes. And Aaron Otto, one of the things I love about him is he's kind of had a lot of these moments. I mean, that the top one, but there's been some other. I mean, what are some of the other ones you think of when you think of an Aaron Otto moment? A lot of them are, are defensive. There are a ton yeah. of defensive moments. I mean, there are, there are some big clutch ones as well, but unfortunately the Rockets haven't been in the postseason yeah. as much. He did hit a big home run in that wild card game. In Arizona, but I mean, I think of stuff like the um, the tarp catch in San Francisco when he laid out and almost destroyed his body, and then almost threw the guy out at third base, tagging up. That's one of the best catches I've ever seen in my life. He had one early in his career where he he caught the ball on a throw in from left field from Carlos Gonzalez as a cutoff man. He jumped up and in the middle of the air threw the ball back to third base to catch a guy who just was not expecting that as a possibility. Um, and then I always go back to the time he fielded a bunt on the first base side of the pitcher's mound, picked it up with his bare hand, and threw across his body to get a lead runner at second base. <laughs> I've never seen that done on a baseball diamond before. Uh, I'd, I'd have to look through the you The know, 10 the, best the, the list of Naranato would be uh, like a really great list already. Yeah. His, he makes plays i actually uh i'm at another shout out for manny uh, but we invented this thing this last year called the aeronometer the aeronometer means that you know we have a different scale for plays he makes if he makes a really oh, great yeah. barehanding pickup and like throws this. it to first for him it might be a, a six out of ten for other guys that might be the best play they make <laughs> this year for him he's gonna do that 15 or 16 times we have to pace how excited yeah. we get about the things he does defensively. What, what about McKinnon? What are his like his high moment? If you the, the seminal moment for him? Yeah, uh, so kind of in the same vein of 
what he's saying about Arenado. You know, six, seven, eight times a year, McKinnon is just going to walk through the entire team, make them all look completely silly, and then dangle the pants off the goalie and, and put a puck into the net and make a play that maybe five people in the league can do look easy. But the biggest moment for McKinnon, honestly, was in last year's playoffs. In the first series, I think it was game three, it was either game two or game three. Game's tied. It goes into overtime. The Avs actually get a big save off of Philip Grubauer. Makes an incredible save with his left pad. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, it comes to Ian Cole, and Ian Cole chips it up and out to Nathan McKinnon at the Avalanche blue line, and McKinnon's just gone. You, I didn't even have to watch him past the halfway point of the ice. I knew this puck was going in the net, and there was mm. no nothing anyone could do. The defensemen were just passengers on yeah. this play. By the time McKinnon had the puck, he was already going so fast that you knew the defensemen were just going to be left behind. <laughs> and so McKinnon blows by everyone, walks in on the goaltender, doesn't even make a move, just picks a perfect corner shot, posting in, game over, Avs go on to win this series, and you in that one moment you knew not only is Nathan McKinnon going to lead the team to great things, you knew they were going to win that series, and you knew that you were watching the best player the Avs have had in 15 years. He has a, has a handful of these as well. I think I guess one of the things about this caliber of player is you do get a sort of confidence when they're on the court yeah. or on the ice in this case in – in clutch moments. Absolutely. It's funny. The other day, he actually just gave up a puck and the Avs lost in overtime. <laughs> but you don't remember those with yeah. the Stars as much. And the fans feel it. The players on the ice feel it. And I think that's something that's super underrated. When the Avs give the puck to McKinnon, everyone on the ice is going, let's go. This uh -huh. is where we score a goal. And it brings the whole team up. A rising tide rises all, yeah. all boats kind of deal. I think the total flip side to what you guys were just talking about there, because I, I, as you mentioned that, a couple of very specific moments of Nolan Arenado committing errors that lost the Rockies games jumped into my mind. And one, that's the nature of baseball. But two, it's exactly what you're talking about, where like nobody went, oh, man, it's because he's terrible. Or like the media, no one throws him under the – everyone just goes, oh. Well, that was extremely unusual yeah, exactly, to happen yeah. again for the rest of the yeah. season. Yeah. Like you, there's almost more confidence. Like that one game, oh, your yeah, star player yeah. loses. Got that you, out like, of the way. Yeah. Right. That won't so. happen again. <laughs> That's funny. I don't think Yoke has – he has a lot of really big moments, and there's some of those early on in his career that I think will, will sort of be iconic and memorable. If I had to say there was one – one like watershed I don't I, and again I don't think there was any one watershed but the one to me that's like the biggest game four of the Portland series in game three they had gone he had played 65 of 68 minutes was a positive they got outscored by eight points in the three minutes he sat and they ended up losing the game but he plays 65 minutes and I remember when they lost that game thinking like man I really thought Denver was better than Portland but there's you just can't bounce back from that four overtimes you lose you have to play in 36 hours they're done and then on top of that Let's be honest, Jokic is a big guy. He's a chunky guy. If anybody was going to wear out, it wasn't going to be C.J. McCollum, who weighs 180 pounds, or Damian Lillard. It was going to be Jokic. Comes back in game four and drops a triple, a monster triple-double, 21-12-11 yeah. and 11 on great efficiency and just controlled the game. And I remember thinking, like, 
maybe we can even raise our ceilings. We're all high on him, but this is the you know the second series in a row sort of coming up big in big moments. So maybe it's less of an individual moment. He of course had four game winners last year and two this year, so he's had a, he's had some like specific one one shot type things that have been big. But to me, that game was the one that I look at and I go. It wasn't because of his talent that he won that game. Somehow, a player that's not known for necessarily digging deep or whatever dug deep in a do-or-die game and came up big. I've always been a big fan in in, a, in all sports of players that distribute the ball, the puck, whatever. Oh, yeah. Was there a moment with Jokic where you were like, oh, this guy can move the ball? There is. So the funny thing is, and a part of this has to do with the call, Chris Marlowe. So it's in his – I either – his rookie or sophomore, I think it's his sophomore season, he dribbles down against Portland and he gets the ball. He actually would later say that he dropped the ball <laughs> and he drops it like to his side and picks it up and throws a wraparound slinger. And it hits Kenneth Fareed in stride. around. It's like a matrix pass where the ball sort of curves <laughs> in the air around the defense and hits him in stride. And by the way, Jokic does it with the most nonchalant face you can possibly imagine. <laughs> this chubby guy dribbles it up the court, wraps this pass around and, and – it was that it wasn't the best pass of his career, but it was sort of the first best pass of Got his it. career. Mm. And it's it's one where you can either make that one or you can't. You don't stumble into it. And it was like, man, that guy just made a pass that maybe five, ten players in the NBA can, and none of them are centers. Right. And, and so is that. Right, let's wrap up with this one. Um, can Arenado be the best player in Rockies history? Can he lead the Rockies to a championship? I'm not saying will he, but can he? Is he capable of it? And then just what do you sort of project for him uh, go, going forward here in, in Colorado? Uh, the answer to the first two questions is yes. In fact, he's, it'll be weird if he ends up not the best player in Rockies mm. history at this point. I mean, Todd Helton's still got some numbers to catch, and, and that's, that's for real. But Nolan's a year and a half or two away from being the second best player yeah. in Rockies history, right? So, like, even if he were to take the opt-out, which to answer a little bit of that, I don't think he's going to do. I think he'll remain in Colorado. God, I hope so. In fact, I think he'll play his entire career as a member of the Rockies. I think he will go down as a member of the Colorado Rockies and uh, as the, the greatest member. And I think that because it's very unlikely Larry Walker is going to make it into the Hall of Fame in this his last year of voting eligibility. He'll get in on other committees, but Nolan Arenado will be – I don't think Helton gets in either. Uh, I think Nolan Arenado will be the first mm. Colorado Rocky that the BBWAA actually elects into the Hall of Fame. How many times has he been to the postseason? Twice. Is there, is there a sense of like – He's one of those guys where just get him in. Have a good enough team to get him in, and, and you never know what he's going to do. Yeah, and, and of course it's always you know a bit tougher in baseball because yeah. position players yeah. are limited and yeah, it's yeah. all in the pitching and the whole thing. But, yeah, no, I, I, I think the argument that I've made a bunch of times before that I think is right and fair is that with Nolan Arenado as your best player, you can absolutely win a championship. Yes, he's one of the four or five <laughs> best players an easy one. in all of baseball. And there are some other guys around him like that. So, yes, they can win with him. And, yes, uh, you know, I, I think that they at some point are going to get this opportunity. And we're really going to get it. We haven't seen a lot of it. He did not perform especially well last year uh, in 2018 when the Rockies did get into the postseason. He was decent in the wild card game the year before that. But it's so limited. So, yeah, yes. we're, we're, we're missing opportunities to see him there for sure. 
but I think we're going to get more, and I think it's going to be a, a whole lot of fun. I think, yeah, he very clearly will go down as the best member, the best Rocky of all time in their first Hall of Famer. The Rockies have some, you know, historic players, but not a lot. The Avs have a lot. They have a lot. Can, yeah. can McKinnon be the best Avs player of all time? Is it even possible? Can McKinnon? Maybe. It would be very, very difficult. Will he be top three? Almost absolutely. Really? I believe who are so. Who are we talking about in the conversation? Uh, Joe Sackick and Peter Forsberg, as far as skaters are concerned, yeah. the the conversation with Patrick Waugh as a goalie is a very hard one to have, and yeah. that would be yeah. the reason that he doesn't make the top three, depending on how you want to talk about the goalie situation. Um, but Nathan McKinnon is certainly the best player that the Avs have had since those guys. Mm. Will I, the rest of his current contract will get him into the top five? Mm. Is assuming he sticks around, yeah, he very good chance he gets into the top three. There's a chance he gets into the top two if he brings home enough hardware. It's going to be very, very difficult in most people's eyes for him to overcome Joe Sackick, though. What are the are there like statistical benchmarks that he, he's got to reach? Like, what's the is there a or, point or total that's just, just way too much? Yeah. Um. Well, he has to win at least one cup, first of all, obviously. Done. Come on, you've already promised me this will happen. <laughs> so. I, I think it will. I do believe he's absolutely a, a player that can lead the Avs to a cup. But you're talking, he has to be over a point-per-game player across upward of 1,000 games. You're probably talking about 12, 13, 1,400-point career. 600 goals should mm. be on the table. And... Uh, very, very likely will have his number retired by the Avs. Very, very likely, if that happens, will become a Hall of Famer. But the Hall of Famer is not some promised land for, for the Avs. They have more than a few players that ended up there. So, yeah. What about likability with McKinnon? McKinnon is plenty likable. Um, <laughs> that was a soft sell. So my mother says this about is, me. This is, is plenty, plenty likable. This isn't a McKinnon problem. This is a hockey problem where okay. they just breed robot machines that go out and answer the questions mm. and just go play hockey. And there, there's not nearly the interaction like we see in the NBA on social media and things like that with these players. But it can also just mean style of play. I mean, he's fun. Oh yeah, as a player, you can to be watch. a great hockey player and just boring to watch. It's like, yeah. all right, yeah, he's so. absolutely electric on yeah. the ice. Yeah. It's really easy player to fall in love with as far as exciting moments and, yeah. and things like that. So, Jokic, unlike the Avs, the Nuggets yeah. do not have a rich history of like great players. <laughs> no. Um, so Jokic, I think you could argue, has already had either the best or second best season in Nuggets history, if you just put it in a vacuum. Uh, David Thompson was a first-team All-NBA, or he's the only one in Nuggets history until Jokic did it this last year. The advanced stats, which, again, I think they're part of a conversation, but certainly not all of them, favor Jokic because I think sort of his contributions are of the ilk that are most valuable. Um, but he also has a lot of lessons to learn, and, and he's sort of in the process of learning those. So I would say I believe Jokic has what it takes – from a talent and skill perspective to be that whether or not he has it from a mental perspective is the thing that we're learning and the thing that he's going to continue to be put in a test um, to for the next several years. And 
that that's part of what's interesting. But I will say the Nuggets right now as we record this, and hopefully this is a podcast that lasts for years and years, but as we're recording this, the Nuggets are in a season in which they are 14-7 and seven and it feels like a failure. But I think that's also a testament a bit to Jokic. He's having a bad year and the Nuggets are really good. And I think he's one of those players that just elevates your floor to playoff team and then you just try to build from there, which is, which is interesting. From a personality standpoint, Jokic is also electric in, in his style of play. And that when, when the ball's really popping with the Nuggets, you do get that sense of like any given night you're going to see something you hadn't seen before. It's not going to be dunks. It's not going to be crazy scoring outputs. But you're going to see some kind of no look over the head, through the leg. Just something that's like, okay, nobody else tries that. He hiked the ball one time for a pass <laughs> or an assist. <laughs> and like in a scrum, just saw nice. an angle through his legs and went for it. And it, it and so he is, I think, like that. But he also doesn't fit the traditional mold of superstar in the NBA. And I think for, there's the casual f- observer that maybe takes a little bit longer to find kind of like get him because you're like, it's not what you expect greatness to look like in a lot of ways. That's yeah, very much different than McKinnon, where everyone's eyes are immediately like, oh, that guy. <laughs> hey, hey, look at that guy. Yeah. No, I, no one's figuring out how to let his real personality shine through. I don't think he's a big fan of just that part of it. You know what I yeah. mean? Uh, but he's learning that that's going to have to be a part of it anyway. And that people mostly just like him. And so it's fine. Like he's learning how to be a leader, how to be someone who with a personality. Um, but I don't think the public knows as well. Like his teammates love him. Yeah. And, and, like he's he's got a really great personality. He's a fun guy to talk to. He's he's a really interesting guy, but he's also one of those baseball rats that just 90% of the time. He's one of those guys that when you when I stand and talk to him at his locker, he's working on his swing the whole time. He's spacing out his legs in between his shoulders. Baseball's the biggest he, thing in his life. Yeah, yeah kind of guy. Just, yeah. That's what he thinks about. And so when you ask him about his contract or his family <laughs> or his offseason, he's like, "Man, but if you ask him Hey, what were you thinking on that ground ball that came between you yeah. and Trevor? When did you decide he'll have a, he'll yeah. go on for a while? And so, I, I wish that the Rockies and more than that, really Major League Baseball was better at marketing its star players yeah. in, in this way because there's something there, but it just doesn't get out. Arenado though is the top of that list. Like it, it, if he was a Yankee or something, he'd be Jeter. Oh, you know, yeah, like he's exactly. just he's so yeah. charismatic. He's yeah. not. It's not even charisma. It's just he's so cool. There's something about him that it's just he's he has cool factor on ten. Uh, Remember what he said when he was really bummed about them losing the wild card game in 2017 in Arizona? He was like, man, I couldn't do anything. I just spent a week by myself. I went to a Post Malone concert just by myself. (laughs) And I tweeted that out. And, of course, I got like 50 responses from people who were like, I'll go to the Post Malone (laughs) concert with Nolan Arenado. Don't like Post Malone, but you know what? I'll do it. Who cares? I I do sincerely hope all three of these guys spend their career in Denver because you, you, you look back at your most iconic athletes in Denver history. If you go Nuggets, Carmelo only half and and there is something to that of like he's our guy but only half our guy Um, and you look at Alex English who spent most of his career in Denver he he seems a lot like it if you go baseball your Helton's of the you know those those guys but there's a there's a weird thing with Walker too where like like the thing with Walker is like he felt stuck in Colorado and then he went to St. Louis and got to experience some success and so and he spent his first couple of years in Montreal. And now it's weird because, like, we use his time not in Colorado as our best argument for him getting in the <laughs> Hall of Fame. Like, he wasn't here the whole time, guys. Yeah. Some of these numbers are real. Right. And I hate that. But, yeah, like, Helton's the one. 
But think about if you saw, you know, John Elway wouldn't be John Elway if right. half of his career was elsewhere. And, right. and like your best athletes, they spend the whole time here. And that's our priority, not necessarily theirs all the time. But I certainly hope with three, these three guys, we got a great half decade. And with the 2020s up, I hope we get a full decade with all three of them. For Drew Christman, Rudo, <laughs> and myself, Adam Adas, this was a fun discussion. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Check out all of our great coverage on the top of the tens over at DNBR. We'll see you next time. <laughs>